Welcome to Off The Fence, I'm James Fox. We are here another night, another evening, another podcast to listen to, another show. Uh, if you want to hear us again, if you've not been with us before, we are online in lots of different places. I'll tell you about those in a minute. Uh, but I've also got sitting next to me, Alex Maskell, uh, political novelist. And we've got some mood lighting tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, very, it's, very, it's very chill in here. We're yeah. relaxing. Uh, we unfortunately don't have any chemical means of doing so, which kind of... At a certain point, what's the point of the mood lighting? It's, <laughs> of course, it's like good. I said, we have got some other places where you can listen to us. YouTube, we're on there. Soundcloud.com slash off the fence. Connect with us on there. And Twitter.com slash off the fence talk. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few things tonight, specifically a report coming about about that's relevant to democracy in this country and the democratic process. Uh, we're going to quickly run through some quick stories. It's been a little while since we've done a show, so there's quite a few things that are quite funny to talk about. The first of which uh, is involved with the Lib Dems, who have their conference this week. They've just had all that um, going on in Bournemouth, I believe. And there's been some amazing things that have come out of that conference, including this crazy new uh, party political broadcast they've done with leader Vince Cable in this hat. Have you seen this? I haven't, no. I'm, oh I'm my intrigued. god. Yeah, they posted a gif, Lib Dem, the Twitter account, Lib Dem Press Office or whatever it is, uh, posted a gif of Vince Cable in like, a, almost like a fedora or maybe the cap that the guy from, the villain from Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers wears and like him winking at the camera. Watch. There you go. Oh god, do they think that's cool? Yeah, and now they've, they've done like a full political broadcast now of like a bunch of people sitting like around a focus group around a round table sort of thing going what we've got to do we all this value stuff is so old hat we need that's right we need a hat and they put a hat you know it just it's crazy i can't even remember it now it's what so exactly ridiculous. are they making fun it's of almost it? like they're mocking themselves and and, guess, and then Vince Cable goes, well, I like the hat at the end. And it's just like unbelievable. I mean, who are they making fun of? Like no one else has like a, are they making fun of Boris? Like, cause that's completely irrelevant. I think he, they're like, oh, no we've got to be funny. So we've got to do something funny. Oh, so okay. let's do a funny ad. We, we can't have like, policies that will make Twitter like us. We, yeah, I mean, Momentum have had loads of funny videos and that, yeah, that's engaging. But behind that, they're backed up by policies and you know, what they're trying to push forward in a left-wing agenda via yeah. Labour. But um, anyway, the, more funny things came out from the Lib Dems uh, and it cl- created a hashtag from Jessica Elgott from The Guardian, hashtag Lib, Lib Dem Glee Club. They had a late night, uh, like at 11 o'clock one night of the conference, they had like a get-together where they all sung songs that are like Lib Dem songs. Oh. They've got one called Guide Me, O Thou Great Teresa, um, which I don't know what it's sung to, that one. Uh, they've got When You're 74... Uh, we had a coalition, did some great stuff, took the uh, blame for more. I, I don't know what song that's meant to be aping as well. There's, they've got like a songbook with all the leaders' faces in as well. Uh, there's a video from Jessica Elgott with the MC kept shouting Labour Party and the, the people just boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Oh my God. This... And they're just booing. It's ridiculous. Oh, uh, they thoughts. also had uh, the worst of all of them is the the song, uh, one song they had called Hit the Road, Zach. And it's all about Zach Goldsmith in Richmond. How did that pan out for them in the long run? <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly ironic. Um, but when did they publish this? She, she, Jessica Elgott from The Guardian said, seems a little bit hubristic, that one. But uh, anyway, that was the Lib Dems. They had loads of ridiculous stuff like tweeting, we're in favour of business and workers. Yeah. and getting ripped apart by left Twitter for it. Yeah, um, that was that was an international coalition. I saw, like, Julia over in Sweden. There were all these DSA people. 
It, it was, it was, they truly brought together like left Twitter in the name of just wrecking them for that. Other things that have happened, Theresa May went to the UN, spoke in New York, oh, to no. a half empty room. I, I love seeing our girl represent our country in the manner in which it deserves. Um, a few other things, uh, George Osborne <laughs> said as well he wants to see Theresa May chopped up in bags in my freezer. Hell yeah. That's, uh, he did say use... it in jest. This was like a profile piece in Esquire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't assume that was an actual threat. No, no. But like, obviously there was like centrist dads that were out there thinking that it was. Like saying, this is an outrage. Or... Oh, of course. I mean, it's unfortunate to like phrase this in kind of like serial killer violence towards women. Yeah. But... Like, I mean, it is. It, it's a. It, if George Osborne was in jest, it's kind of, it is a George Osborne thing to say. It's like quite yeah, yeah, unsurprising. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, it's, it's who, just a joke, who, but it's also kind of revealing of his inner sociopathy. Yeah. Um, another big thing that we wanted to underline is the Senate in America, the U.S. Senate. Um, unanimously passed a $700 billion bill on the military spending, the military budget um, this year, it's the annual military budget, um, and it's increased by $80 billion. This was voted through unanimously. I think it was only eight people that voted against. Democrats and Republicans alike, all fine with the amount they're spending on the military. Uh, Trump asked for an increase of $54 billion, and they gave him an increase of $80 billion. And this is the type of money, this is enough that would, you know, pay for... Free, free public college tuition. Yep. Um, uh, but you know that's pie in the sky. We can't, we can't say that. You know that's pie in the sky ideas. The, the, senate, the senators of in, in the US Senate would be saying these are pie in the sky ideas, single payer healthcare. A lot of them are getting onto it now, but previously these ideas last year were pie in the sky. But you know we no, can no, no, increase no. the military spending we, by eighty we billion. We have, we have, we in the West have Yemeni supplied convoys to destroy and. You know, why would we want to spend that money on anything else? You know, we, we need to know that some people of a vague tribal affiliation, 99% of us don't understand the first thing about, are starving. That, that's what our country needs in order to remain free, and that's what America needs in order to remain free. And mm. I think if we don't stick to our basic thing of making life as miserable as possible for anyone who refuses to install a kind of oil-vending dictator as their head of state... You know, where will we be? I was actually interested to hear who voted against it. and we had, Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, you had four Democrats in there that voted against it. Um, interestingly, Rubio and uh, the North Carolina guy, uh, Graham. Uh, Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. He, they just abstained. They weren't around. Um, and Republicans, Paul uh, Rample, yep. didn't uh, vote for it. He voted against it. And of course, your boy Bernie Sanders in there as the independent, completely knocking this out. No but way. Am I also correct in saying Kristen Gillibrand? Yes. That's an interesting one. She, it's becoming increasingly clear that she is pushing forward presidential ambitions as being a Bernie wing representative uh, yeah. in a way, in a couple of ways that are very interesting. Like um, a little while ago, she went on kind of like bludgeoningly West Wing esque center uh, center ground podcast, Pod Save America, which is the uh, stomping grounds of a bunch of former Obama aides who went on to form a just a kind of podcasting empire in the wake of things where they peddle like very kind of tepid uh, like very tepid commentary although supposedly uh, Felix from Chapo Trap House is going on there at some point soon which is going to be interesting but um, 
Uh, Kristen Gillibrand was on one of their recent episodes, and she's very she came off in that as very significantly to the left of them, right? Uh, which isn't that difficult. Where's she from? It, uh, I forget off the top of my head. Okay, but, but um, she's whether she's doing it cynically as a form of maneuvering or because she genuinely believes it, it is encouraging to see that there is at the very least someone who is willing to put themselves forward, kind of as a you know as a former. Uh, as someone to like inherit that mantle. Speaking of Sanders, he did a big foreign policy speech you can check out online uh, at Westminster College, Missouri. And if you don't know Westminster College, Missouri, it's where Win Winston Churchill did his Iron Curtain speech. And that was something he referenced quite a lot in the, uh, the Bernie Sanders speech there, he referenced Churchill and what he said about that time and how it might relate to foreign policy now. Um, and this was an issue when he ran for president and in the primaries, Bernie Sanders was criticised a lot for not having much of a foreign policy agenda that was maybe nuanced or a bit much of a plan, basically. He did have some great arguments and some great nuance there to what he was saying, very similar to Corbyn, uh, but um, didn't have as much of a plan. And it yeah, did... in, in, in the primaries, he was he kind of had a very kind of vacillating, well, I'm for the smart wars thing, yeah. which is the same kind of thing Obama had, and look where that got us. This speech that he just did did compare quite a lot in my mind to the speech Corbyn did at Chatham House, where you had someone speaking quite... Um, intelligently on foreign policy saying things that people just haven't said before in a very intelligent manner that a lot of people yeah. agree with well it's it's not even intelligence it's just refusing to carry water for our imperial actions i i think that like anti-imperialism just makes moral sense on its face and yeah. so i think it's kind of hard to misstate but either way if he's genuinely coming out from that kind of perspective that's an exciting step for him because Foreign policy has always been an issue with him. To an extent, whenever you're looking at a, a Western politician, that tends to be where they fall down. Just, yeah. um, you know, a certain disregard for anyone who isn't a citizen of their country's lives. And so, you know, if we're seeing a genuine axis of political leaders in the US and UK who are, you know, significantly coming out in favour of, like, a sort of anti-imperialism... That's very exciting. Let's move on to our, to our actual proper story tonight. For those who don't know, the House of Lords, it's our upper chamber. Uh, it's where people, with a lot of bills, that once they've been argued via the House of Commons and they've been put through there, they go to the House of Lords, they have to approve it. Um, but it's not elected. It's completely unelected. It, it's, it's put in there by appointments via the Prime Minister at the time. They can be from any of the parties. They are party affiliated, but they're kind of outside of the party politics kind of game, if you will. You don't have to worry about that so much. But there's been an interesting report that's come out this week from the Electoral Reform Society uh, saying that there's apparently a, quote, something for nothing culture among peers of the House of Lords. Some of these peers haven't spoken in the Lords for an entire year, yet have claimed nearly 1.3 million in expenses and allowances. Uh, there's 115 Lords... Uh, one in seven of the total uh, failed to speak at all in the 2016-17 session and this was despite claiming an average each of £11,000 um, that's the average though in particular there's 18 peers who are really bad um, with this 18 peers failed to vote but still collectively claimed can you guess what they might have all got together? 93, 93k so between them so they didn't vote once but they just claimed 93 thousand pounds between them wait 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 wait, wait, wait. are you telling me that when the prime minister of a country 
anoint someone as a lord, they become slightly entitled. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. We're going to explore that over the next 10, what, 10 20 minutes. What world are we coming Just to? Just me, it, get, it gets, gets, maybe it gets worse. Maybe that's the, the worst bit. But So there's 115 lords, and that's uh, a seventh of the total who have claimed 11,000 each. And the 18 worst of those um, who failed to vote collectively claimed 93,000. Um, of the peers who voted 10 times or fewer, they claimed over a million between them in 2016 to 2017 and lords who spoke five times or less in the past year over four million claimed so there's not a lot of interaction going on here these people are being appointed to check bills that come through to be that you know that check to make sure the house of commons the the parliament of the day doesn't get too out of hand you know um because we need that but if people are put in and not being left accountable this sort of thing happens. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather they weren't there at all, but if they aren't going to be there, or like if they're going to be a lord anyway, I'm kind of glad that they aren't there, like sticking their oar in anyway. Yeah. Like, fuck it, we'll, we'll come on to the, how much they speak as well. The lords who spoke five times or less in the past year, people who are just mainly turning up to vote, like I said, they are claiming over four million, so it's not even really worth giving them that money if they're not even going to be speaking that much or even even turning up or they're just turning up to vote and that's it they're not really engaging the debate which is an important part of parliament but again do we really want quantity from these mutants like how how many of these people are tory aligned there's actually less tories um in the house of lords than there are the other parties there's more lib dems and labor peers um i think there's less labor peers than tories but with the lib dems there's so many that they there's more than the tories um but of those peers they might have other alignments for example we spoke about andrew adonis who was a labor peer now crossbench or maybe labor who knows maybe he's come back some of them might not be lefty labor if you, if you will some of them might might be but anyway a little bit more specific on the numbers here um, all these expenses that we're talking about uh, come in the kind of st- uh, narrative of, of the past two years there's been a 20 percent increase in expenses claimed uh, there's been a total bill of over 19 million with the average peer claiming 22,000 pounds and the average peer votes 35 times a year and speaks 34 times i mean the 22,000 is presumably like rent or whatever for the apartments that they have to keep in london right yeah probably probably you know but this is a part-time role so see it's not a full-time thing so should we really be paying them loads of money um, I guess for a part-time role when you're claiming expenses and things like that and you've got an allowance, you'd have to have some sort of, you know, I've been in, you know, I've checked in, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, it, And also if they're doing, like, if they're doing their, like, a decent amount, then, you know, sure, like, make sure that they have somewhere where they can go sleep for the night. Yeah. But, um... But, but hang on a minute. They've got to check in, right, to be able to claim the money? Of course. No, no, they don't. Do they not? They don't have to have any proof to claim £300 a day. Outstanding. Um, I always put that in the context of, you know, some of the most vulnerable people in the society. Imagine the hoops and hurdles they have to cross and jump through to be able to get a job seekers allowance, ESA. The amount of people that have died who are being uh, deemed fit for work and they've died in the, in the months after they've been deemed fit for work is the hoops they've had to jump through. Daniel Blake. I, Daniel Blake, watched that film. I think it's just pretty sick to be able to see that these people can, play, can claim £300 a day without any proof, without any even having to uh, even you know show that they've been around or even actually voted or even sp- spoke. Uh, but, you know, give me my £300. So just turn up, grab it. 
But the main story here is that 58% of those attending the whole 2016-2017 session uh, are now claim more than the average full-time Brit in their take-home pay uh, for what is essentially a part-time role. Uh, so it's not just about the numbers, oh, these people don't deserve it, these people, you know, get, they're claiming all the money. Put it in the context of everyone else in the country, the amount of work that they're putting in, the amount of work that they're contributing to the economy. They don't get handouts like this, you know. People, I thought conservatives and people like that were meant to be opposed to handouts, but it turns out that a lot of conservatives are the least opposed to House of Lords reform. Who thought? Another thing about the House of Lords that's worth underlining is it's the size of House of Lords. It's quite well known, it's quite big. It's bursting at the seams with 798 members, making it the second largest upper chamber in the world, second only to the People's Republic of China with their upper chamber. Woo! That excludes the 27 peers on leave or absence uh, uh, otherwise or otherwise disqualified from sitting. However, though, most costs come from the people who contribute the least to the chamber. Most active, uh, the most active 300 peers claim half the expensive. So do the maths there. That's the other 500 who are less active but claiming more. And that shows you can cut the size of the chamber without stopping the work that happens, right? But it also shows that people that are contributing the least are getting the most amount of money. And now I can hear conservative alarm bells ringing going, oh, you're complaining about people getting people getting handouts who contribute the least, you know, and they're going, that's just like people on welfare and the economy. And it's like, no, that is not the same whatsoever. Lords will also starve if we don't give them yeah. just endless amounts It's not of like money. these people have endless amounts of money. They have other jobs that they're doing at the same time. This is a part-time role. It's not, about, it's not like people who are claiming benefits are, are literally going to die, can't work or are looking for work and need to be able to be housed, housing benefit, all these sorts of things. Um, but, you know, we can't have that because we have to have a House of Lords who are entitled enough. Uh, to be able to have their £300 expenses paid without voting or speaking, just turning up, you know? Well, of course, and I don't think we need to look at, like, the inherited wealth on the part of any of the people in the House of Lords relative to, you know, the very poorest people in our society. Yeah. This comes in the context of common speaker John Burko this week saying that the upper chamber size of it should be cut. There's also a publication soon coming from a key committee from the House of Lords, the really obtusely named Lord Speaker's Committee on the Size of the House of Lords. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> um, this is set up after peers voted for reducing their own numbers, which I just, that sentence makes me laugh. You know, they're asking for themselves to be culled. I mean, you, know, you say it themselves, I assume that they're like, yeah, 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 you see those guys over there? Us. Get, get, get rid of him. Get, get rid of, him. <laughs> get rid of that I, one over I, there. I, I'm good, but I can give you a list, you know. <laughs> oh, God. You think that's funny, though, that it's that big? You know, 798 members, you think that's big? And the, the only biggest, the only one bigger than that is in China? Yeah. I didn't realise that it was even bigger in 1997, just before Tony Blair did his reforms in 1999. 1,330 lords... What the fuck? How? There's not even like it. There's already not enough room. They all have to sit on the floor or something like that. Maybe, it's ridiculous. Maybe this is why they want the number to go down. They don't want the you know the market to be flooded with lords. Yeah, That's... I mean they culled it for by half at that point. 1,330 to six hundred sixty-nine, and in the process removed hereditary peers. I can't believe hereditary peers were only removed as recently as nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, but we live in a stupid mutant country that still like is in love with its own fucking yeah. aristocracy. I mean that, that 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 would make sense because actually hereditary peers weren't completely removed in ninety-nine. It was in the Labour manifesto to do so, but as ever, once they got into power. 
um, similarly to bring um, uh, abolishing first past the post, there was a bit of friction there, and they thought, oh, actually, we'll just reduce the number to 94, and we'll leave it there. And it's now at 94, and as as so forever will be, supposedly, unless someone comes in and goes, no, we're going to get rid of that, which a lot of people have done over the years since 1999. Um, but nothing happens yet hopefully soon and that's kind of what this report from the electoral reform society is underlining here uh, we do have a quote from darren hughes who's the chief executive of the electoral reform society he says this quote this is an outrageous situation we need to move to a much smaller upper chamber one that is properly accountable so that the lords is no longer seen as a retirement home for party donors but something fit for the mother of all parliaments you know what else might make it seem that way? He, said, he also said, however, piecemeal changes like imposing a retirement age will do little to do with the real issue, a total lack of accountability among the Lords that allows this kind of behaviour to grow and fester. Now, he mentioned their rep- retirement ages. Um, that's something that's been uh, suggested potentially by that committee we mentioned earlier, that uh, at 80 years old, you're out, mate. You've just got to retire. You're done. Go home. We'll pay your pension, but just to go home. You're done. You can't be in the House of Lords anymore. I don't think that's a good... And I agree with Darren Hughes. I don't think that's a good enough reform. I don't think that's enough. Um, it would bring down, I think, like 160 Lords gone because they're, they're over 80. Um, but I don't think that's enough. I mean, what seems better to me would be term limits. Like, f- who cares how old they are? You make it, you can only be here for 10 years. Yeah. You know, this is something that's on the table um, with uh, Labour potentially saying that they might create a federal UK and just make the, the Lords the Senate, like a federal yeah. Senate. Um, which is, you know, that's a big change to the country uh, to make the, the country federalised. But it would be kind of the, one of the most sensible ways to make the upper chamber a Senate. Sure. Or just make the whole thing democratically elected. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the first port of call, definitely. Um, there's also, if you want one example of a quote from a Lord, we sure we should put that in. We've got one Digby Jones, former uh, boss of the CBI, CBI, director of the CBI between 2000 and 2006. He claims £15,000 uh, expenses for a non-speaking Lord's role. Uh, and he said uh, in the Financial Times, speaking to them this week, quote, I see the Lords as a non-executive director of the country. You can't treat the country as a company. Like, I, I get you're from the CBI and, and you think you can be a... a a director of the country but a non-executive faction well that's i mean these people view the government as being part of business yeah obviously machinations i I just oh just it's needed so bad yeah it's it's a repulsive ideology and it needs to be taken out of power as soon as physically fucking possible i'm surprised all this didn't come up with the previous expenses scandal back in 2008 2009 under the uh you know with the mps Uh, i'm surprised this is only coming out now yeah but who broke the expenses scandal Probably the Electoral Reform Society. Well, it, it was the Telegraph, right? Oh, right, okay. They were the ones that put it out there, and where do their interests on the Lords lie? Oh, right. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very straightforward thing. Yeah. But yeah, there's a reason it wasn't brought up, and it was because they wanted to fucking embarrass, like, the House of Commons, yeah. where there's movement that they can make and, you know, changes that they can make to make things less stable. And, you know, that doesn't, like, that doesn't occur to... I think I think the most interesting thing with the House of Lords recently is that some of the most horrible shit that the Conservatives have been trying to put through, like their tax credit cuts and um, uh, cuts to disabilities and stuff like that, has been blocked by the House of Lords, which is what its job is there. But it's only been that way because there's so many Lib Dem and Labour peers. Yeah, and it's and it's like it's partisan already. Let's just 
you know, just fucking make it elected. Like, yeah. this is stupid. And then every prime minister comes in and just stuffs it with more of his own mates, his own donors, his own, you know, campaign directors, things like that. Yeah, and this is why it's a good thing that so many of the conservative-aligned peers are just lazy slobs who are just there to like, hoover up more public money. Like, it's like, fine, fuck it, just don't have anything to do with the actual elect, uh, like the actual processes of power here. And, like, that's the least damage they can realistically do in this structure. If there's any, like, there's any argument for electoral reform, it's got to be encapsulated in the fact that Lord Tebbit is a lord, Norman Tebbit, and and this is the guy that shut down that right-wing youth Tory thing in, like, the late late 70s, I think. I think Andrew Neil was a part of. Um, Norman Tebbit shut it down. And this is the guy who's coming up with ideas, like, in Brexit Britain, um, we, they said we should bring back military service and stuff like that. Uh, and because you know, young people would love it. it would give them a bit of you know, <laughs> a, a, a bit of energy. They'd see the world. They could go. Oh yeah, that that was it. Norman Tebbit said we should send the youth of today to go and help with um, uh, the hurricane disaster. Let's just let's just do a conscription and send the youth to be able to help with aid disasters. I I don't even know. What to instead say. of like just... instead of just you know, combating climate change and sending aid, you know. In, in you know in whatever way is possible let's just get all the youth of today into the military and then yeah the one <laughs> this thing, is such a dumb idea like the one thing they need at these fucking it's such like sites. a it's such like an head in the clouds from 40 50 years ago let's just put all of them in the military and then it's it's not like based in reality of how these things would work on a on the ground like basis yeah it's so fucking outdated because Aside from anything else, like, the thing about, like, oh, they were able to get out and see the world. Like, Ryanair is very cheap these days, sir. Yeah, young people without jobs should do national service. Um, that's one thing that he said recently. Bring back national service for unemployed youngsters. Whatever. Just, let's just a, let's it, just reform the right House of Lords instead. I, I yeah, think that would be it's better. It's essentially fucking press ganging. Let's, Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, we're going to leave it there. And there's Labour Conference this weekend, The World Transformed. So we'll be at that uh, and hopefully maybe talk to some people. We'll report back on that and see what, tell you all about it. It's what it was like if you hadn't been. Hell yeah, it should be fun. I'm going to try and get David Harvey to sign my uh, uh, my copies of his companion to Marx's Capital. That should be fun. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been Off the Fence with me, James Fox, and Alex Maskell. Uh, we're going to be back, of course, next week, like we said. Connect with us online in the meantime, though, uh, at Off the Fence Talk on Twitter and soundcloud.com slash Off the Fence.